From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. And here we are rocking it on the Automotive ADHD Show, heard around the world as a podcast, and right here in Southern Colorado on the radio. Matt West here, hanging out with you, talking cars. Got a loaded show today, loaded show. An IndyCar fan gets a new car because of some unfortunate things that happened. Uh, Porsche has a new logo, and nobody can tell the difference between the old one. I can't, so we're going to talk about that. Also, we're going to talk about ways to avoid traffic. I have uh, I had some struggles with traffic this week, and uh, I'm thinking if you live anywhere in the world that has roads... You, you, you might you might be struggling with the same thing. And then we're also going to talk about automated braking systems and how the government is seeking to mandate those and why, yes, are they safer? Maybe, but I think this is a bad idea. And uh, I'm going to tell you why. Now, before we talk about that, this is, uh, here's something here loosely automotive related sort of sort of related to automotive things more or less just i guess transportation but uh get this your next this is uh and by the way this comes from uh, motor trend hat tip uh, andrew beckford um <laughs> get this headline your next international flight could be powered by bacon yes well they say technically pig fat biodiesel but it's bacon it is literally bacon grease so check this out uh a new report has found that obviously bacon, by the way, as, as we know, is is delicious. And uh, if you tell me that it's not, uh, I don't know who you are. But <laughs> that being said, um, the Europe uh, Europe's Transportation and Environment Group, T&E as they're called, uh, commissioned a study on the use of animal fats to produce biodiesel. And uh, apparently uh, what they found is this is something that you can do. And by the way, are you if you're curious, if you're a vegan, by the way, you might you might want to tune out of this. But um, they found that to make the necessary bio diesel from animal fat so from from pig fat in this case uh and to use that biodiesel as jet fuel and to power a jet to fly between uh paris and new york you want to guess how many pigs it would take eight thousand eight hundred pigs to fuel that plane but granted bear in mind that's not just pigs that's like after the that's after using the scraps of the pigs. You've already turned the pigs into bacon, so they were they were already going to be eaten at this point. So this is this is just using other other means here, other parts of the animal. Uh, eight thousand eight hundred pigs. Can you imagine that? So that's like seventeen thousand and some change pigs uh, for a round trip flight. And uh, now the problem they found in their study is that, yes, you can technically do it. And by the way, this does tie into cars because uh, owners of vehicles have been converting their vehicles like diesel vehicles have been converting their their cars to run on biodiesel for decades now. And um, so I guess technically you could run your car on bacon grease, too. Uh, But, uh, you know, look, I mean, diesels, by the way, I'm not a diesel guy. 
So correct me if I'm wrong here, but to me, it seems like with enough work, like an old school diesel that doesn't have any electronic stuff on it, nothing weird, in theory, can kind of run on anything flammable. That's that's one one appeal of diesel engines, as I understand. Now, I own nothing diesel, so I don't know. Maybe the diesel guys are getting their pitchforks right now, but maybe we can solve that with bacon because I bet a lot of diesel guys also like bacon and then you can power your, your truck on bacon. I don't know. What they did find, though, in this uh, study was that the um, there is already a, quote, significant pressure on the supplies of animal fat. And uh, and that's because, you know, it, it it's all, it, there's all sorts of different things that it does ultimately get used for. And the study also concludes that the uh, supplies will only see more pressure as the demand for animal fat increases and as the demand for biodiesel increases. They say the demand is set to uh, triple by 2030. Interesting, though. But moral of the story, you can power your car, your jet, whatever with bacon. I wonder if it smells like bacon when you're driving around. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna. We're gonna have to find out. That that could be a good thing at this point. So anyway, hey, don't go anywhere. We're gonna talk about traffic, how you can avoid it, and what you can do about it after the break. That's right here. In these trying times, the Speed Council needs your support. Well, mostly your money. All right, just the money. Join our Patreon today at thespeedcouncil.org to get exclusive benefits when you support Automotive ADHD. There it is. There we go. That is uh, that is Jacob's five-cylinder rabbit running rallycross at Pikes Peak International Raceway. An older car, Sam, but I had to dig it up because it was just... It was so good. I wanted to hear it again. I wanted to share it again. Remember, you can send your car sounds into the show for a chance to not only have your car sounds featured on the show, but also for a chance to win an automotive ADHD keychain as well as a sticker, which is cool. The as heard on the automotive ADHD sticker. And if that wasn't enough for you, you could also win a $25 parts store gift card. I will be announcing the winner uh, for this giveaway, this past month's giveaway. Not today, but I will be doing it uh, next week. So stay tuned. You could be the winner. How would you know if you didn't listen? So you, <laughs> you got to check it out. Now, uh, before we talk about traffic, how to avoid, may, maybe avoid traffic. I don't know if anyone can truly do that. Uh, or before we talk about uh, why I think automatic braking systems are a major problem. Um, check this out. Uh, Fernando Alonso, Formula One racing legend, is going to be selling one of his prized Ferraris. He is selling, and it's it's not a, this isn't cheap, by the way. For, uh, Fernando Alonso's Ferrari, Enzo specifically, uh, the Enzo, by the way, is a spectacularly cool Ferrari, spectacularly rare, and spectacularly expensive. It is a very, very expensive Ferrari. This isn't this isn't your 458. This isn't your 488. You don't just go buy one. I kind of wish you could. I don't know. It, it bugs me that manufacturers make cars like this so exclusive. Like, yeah, okay, it's a fancy car. It's a, it's a halo car, as they like to say in the industry. But come on, I, like, why why limit the cool cars? Let's just all have cool cars. But he is going to be selling his uh, Ferrari Enzo. By the way, the car um, you know named after. Ferrari Enzo, like Enzo Ferrari, the, the guy with the last name of Ferrari, whose name is Enzo. So like, you know, the founder of the company um, and it's going to go up at auction with an estimated sale price. This is a bargain, by the way, major savings here 
Five million dollars. Five million. It's going to Monaco car auctions. And uh, and I think this is, by the way, so the car has uh, only 3,000 miles on it. The guy has one of the most legendary Ferraris ever produced. And he only drove it 3,000 miles. Come on. What? I get it. Maybe, you know what? He's used to driving F1 cars. This is slow to him. This is like a Civic to him. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, in case any of my listeners, in case you were chomping at the bit to buy um, Fernando Alonso's Ferrari Enzo, if you were waiting for this opportunity desperately, hoping that you would have a chance to not just buy any Ferrari Enzo, but this Ferrari Enzo, well, I guess you can do that. And of course, if you have $5 million jingling around in your pocket, this might be a good deal for you. It'll probably go for more than $5 million. That's the estimated price. I have a feeling it'll go for more than that. To give you some context to the uh, Enzo, by the way, they made 400 Enzos. 400 for the whole world. And uh, the Enzo is, gosh, it's already uh, getting to be up there in, in age as well. That's The Enzos have been around for a while. So, um, But you know what? It's a classic Ferrari to have. This is a the, the Enzo is going to be one of those cars that in 20 years, these are still going to be going to auction back and forth for, for probably even more money. Much in the same way we see Ferrari 350 GTOs and stuff as the most expensive cars to ever have been sold at auction. That's going to happen here, I think. Um, but you know what? Hey, this could be you. This, this could be your car. Um, if you got that sort of money jingling around in your pocket as well, why not consider uh, joining the Speed Council for a paltry $5 a month and supporting this uh, this radio show and podcast? You could do that. You know what? You should do that. Or, you know, you could just like like fund my expenses for the entire year to be my only sponsor and then go buy your Ferrari anyway. Or let me drive it, too. You probably don't want to let me drive it. But anyway, so <laughs> there you go. By the way, so uh, moving on to this. I don't know if you caught this, if you were watching um, IndyCar recently, uh, the 2023 Indy 500, there was something that happened. Here, let me play a quick sound clip from this. Here, check it out. That tire advantage is not nothing, though, guys, as we see Joseph Newgarden on the outside of Felix Rosenquist moves that shell car. Oh! Felix in the wall, big time! This is going to be a big hit right here. I don't know if he's going to keep it out of the turn two wall. Oh, no! Kirkwood! Ooh! Kirkwood upside down. So, so what you saw right there, what you heard rather, uh, was a crash, a spectacular crash in which one of the wheels on one of the Indy cars, Indy car cars, uh, one of the wheels came off and went over the crash barrier around the outside of the track. There's the big fence that's supposed to keep all the crashes inside. This wheel just, I mean, this wheel sent it. It went over the barrier, clear over it, going way fast. This wheel just noped out of the chat, basically. It, <laughs> that's what it did. It it was gone. Clear over the spectators, didn't hit anybody, and uh, went off camera on the broadcast, the TV broadcast of it. Well, turns out, uh, after they deal with the crash, uh, some poor soul in the parking lot had, um, had the misfortune of uh, that wheel and tire hitting their car in the parking lot. And uh, 
Like, imagine you're going, you're all excited. You saved up the insane amount of money to go see IndyCar live and in person. And and you're out there. It looks like this was a, what, a Chevy Cruze. So, you know, a humble car. Uh, you know, likely the person was not of extravagant means. They had to save a significant amount of money to go to this event. And then you walk outside and go, what happened to my car? And uh, there's a a huge dent on the front. Well, it's more like the front end was smashed in slightly by the tire. Again, it's it's amazing that no one was like killed by this, by the way. I mean, you're just walking around. You're like the groundskeeper, you know, just mowing the grass outside by the parking lot outside of the racetrack. And you get taken out by a tire like this going 150 miles an hour. That that would that probably wouldn't be good. You wouldn't see it coming. I'll say that much. But um, anyway, so this person who had their car damaged by the tire, um, is uh, and people on the internet were posting videos of this and all sorts of stuff. Um, and it sounds like um, that they are going to be the um, uh, the parent company behind this, Penske Entertainment, uh, which, by the way, is uh, owns the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the uh, NTT IndyCar Series and some other stuff, uh, apparently is going to be giving this unlucky fan a brand spanking new car which is good instead of just saying yeah our insurance will take care of it we'll fix your your chevy cruise now they're going to be getting a new car and you know what this is it's tragic that this happened it's good that no one was hurt but it is like it is also you know a because no one got hurt it's this would be different if someone got hurt you would have as the company you would have to approach this differently uh but because no one did they can use this as a little bit of a, a PR thing. Like, why not give this person, you know, some really cool car, like team up with, uh, you know, the fact that like, say, for instance, um, uh, Chevrolet is, you know, has a partnership. GM has a partnership with the track and with Roger Penske, you know, owning uh, you know, part of, you know, Penske Entertainment. Roger Penske owns one of the largest groups, conglomerates of Chevy dealers in, in Indiana, Indiana, rather. Uh, it's very likely this person's going to be given another Chevy. Will they be given another 2012, 2015 something Chevy Cruze? No, no, I don't think so. I think so. I think this is an oppor- This is a marketing opportunity that they are not going to want to miss out on. And in doing so, they might give this fan something really cool and then kind of make a big old social media stunt about it, which, you know what? That's fine. Good for them. You know, and they they you could say that, you know, this was unlucky for the fan, but the fan also had to deal with all this, you know, extra headache. Their car smashed up. They don't have a car. The least you can do is not just replace their existing car with the same kind of car. or Just write them a check. I think that they should get something fun, you know, like a new Corvette. Something like that. I don't know. That might be a little expensive for this, too. But I, I think that's what they could do. And they would absolutely see their return on investment when it comes to advertising. And uh, so, yeah, glad no one got hurt. Sucks for this fan, but this might turn into something really cool for him. It might. This might be good for all parties involved. So I guess good thing your car got hit by a speeding flying tire. Who knew tires could fly, by the way? I didn't know there was like a like a flying species of tire. There is. So anyway, hey, don't go anywhere. Coming up, more stuff right here on Automotive ADHD. Ladies and gentlemen, the Speed Council proudly presents Automotive ADHD, now on video. For better or for worse, subscribe to Automotive ADHD, now playing on YouTube and Rumble.
All right, there we go. Evan Osborne's she- 79 Chevy Monza with a small block Chevy. Matt West here, hanging out with you, talking cars on the Automotive ADHD show. And uh, as you heard in that ad break, too, now on video. Yeah, you can catch the show on YouTube. You can catch the show on Rumble and many other places. Well, those two places. And we're working on a few more here, too. So that'll be really fun. But hey, um, speaking of it being on video, uh, you may notice uh, again, like so last week I was in I was in Orlando, Florida doing work. I did the show from my hotel room. It was fun. I I, I still haven't seen the, the Disney lawyers knocking on my door yet because I had a, a portion of Disney World in the background of the video. Um, I they, they will probably track me down to Colorado now that I'm back uh, in state. But uh, I am not in the home garage, the home studio garage thing it's it well, it's less of a studio it's a garage and i i do the show from there i'm actually in uh viewers on the video may notice i'm actually in the radio studio doing the show and i'm uh doing this out of a radio station uh in colorado springs right now actually so that's uh that's a lot of fun. It's fun being able to do the show here. And uh, again, changing up the scenery a little bit on the video. What really happened is I got back from my trip and I didn't have time to set up anything in the garage. And there's too many cars. But I, I crammed three cars into my two car garage while I was out of state for uh, for work. I, I crammed three cars in there because I wasn't going to let any hail or something come and take them out while I was away. So, uh, yeah, they're still in there. They're wedged in there so tight I didn't have time to do it. So there you go. But you know what? Um, we've got a lot of other things here to uh, get to on the show. And uh, namely, so Porsche. Porsche has uh, they've changed their logo. No one noticed. I don't even know how news outlets, uh, this comes by way of Car and Driver, uh, by the way, uh, Jack Fitzgerald, hat tip Car and Driver, um, who reports on this, which I don't even know how they found out because like you, you can't tell the difference. It, it looks like the same logo. And oh man, I can, I can hear the Porsche fans right now typing. No, it's different. They changed this little thing by two, you know, microns. Well, of course, sure, sure. Yeah. Sure, I'm gl- I'm sure they did, but um, Porsche has had a, a handful of uh, of you know different logos that all look exactly the same. It is the same Porsche crest. It is the you know it, it, look. If you actually look at pictures, uh, and I'll put this up on on the video here for uh, folks on YouTube and Rumble to see. If you look at like a picture of the different Porsche logos, like they're 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 all the same not even if like like okay there's like little difference like okay like they they made the text black the text that says porsche that that was black after a couple of different versions and then they changed the little stippling and the little texture in a couple parts of it that's the extent of it that's literally it in fact if you look at the old porsche logo uh the one the old one up until now the most recent one um it's got like a stippled texture to it in some of the metal parts, like the the bronze colored, you know, metal parts there. Um, and uh, that, that the new one, it's just kind of smooth in those areas. It's there's no texture to it, but it otherwise looks the same. Uh, it does say Stugart uh, on the badge, you know, where the Porsches are made. Um, and then it's got some checkering in the the flag portions, the black and red flag portions of it. And uh, otherwise, it is exactly the same. 
It is identical. But you know, Porsche guys are going to go nuts over this. Porsche guys are, no offense if you're a Porsche guy, I, please, please keep listening. <laughs> but no, um, Porsche guys are just going to go bonkers over this because, I mean, that, that's the thing. If you buy a Porsche and you're a Porsche fan, you do care about details. That's kind of why you buy a car like a Porsche. You care about those little details. You care about these little model year specific things. Ooh, they only did this little tiny piece of trim on this year and whatnot. So, yeah, I get it. I think Porsche guys are going to go nuts over this and then they'll get to say, yeah, I've got one with the old logo. Ooh, yeah, cool, right? Um, and uh, now, by the way, there's a little bit of a history behind Porsche logos, which uh, the brand is celebrating 75 years of Porsche sports cars. So that's kind of what spurred off some of the redesign here. And um, it's, the logo goes all the way back to uh, 1952. And uh, it's only been updated five times since then. So I will say um, this is not uh, this is, of all things, uh, like several months ago, um, Audi redesigned. I talked about it on the show. Audi redesigned their four ring logo. And I joked that no one could tell the difference. But there was a little bit of a difference. Like they changed the embossment on it. They changed like the way it looks. It looks more two dimensional now instead of three dimensional and shiny. It's still four rings. I would argue, though, uh, that was a very minor change. No one noticed. Like, you would not be able to tell me, yes, Audi redesigned their logo. Um, somehow, Porsche's logo redesign is even more subtle. Um, I wonder, and and I bet, like, they probably, it looks identical, but they probably had paid several designers, a design team, many hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars over the course of five years to carefully redesign this logo and come up with some corporate way of saying what all the different things represent in the redesign, which in reality, they just sort of like copied and pasted the old one. Like these are probably the best paid designers around. Like they just, I don't know, they might, maybe they, what do they use for designing it? Like uh, Adobe Illustrator or something? They probably just use that and copy and pasted it, changed a couple little things and cashed in their massive check. So I think if if you are an aspiring designer and uh, and you want to do, you know, you want to get paid the most amount of money for your work, you've got a liberal arts degree in graphic design. OK, um, you should go get a job at a German luxury car brand, Audi, Porsche. Those are fine. Uh, BMW admittedly was the most radical with their new logo change. Um because it's like transparent now. It's literally a clear logo now. So that was that, that was pretty radical. But also like luxury cars, Ferrari, Lamborghini, their, their logos just don't change. So I think if you want to be a graphic designer, if you want to be paid well, you want to have a secure future without actually doing any work, get a job as the logo designer for a European luxury car and uh, and you will be fine. Um, so yeah, there, <laughs> there you go. There you go. I get that logos have to kind of stay the same for brand recognition. Kia didn't do that though. Kia, you may have noticed recently redesigned their logo looks entirely different. Um, I would say it's a good different, but in that, that change has been out for a while now, but that was a pretty radical change there. So anyway, Hey, by the way, um, if you hate traffic, I hate traffic. I, I despise traffic. I detest it. Um, earlier, uh, this week, when I got back to Colorado from my Florida trip, uh, we had the Air Force Academy graduation. Yes, and I was working in the Springs here, and um, 
Air Force, we have the Air Force Academy. We've got a lot of military bases. Peterson Air Force Base. We've got Schriever. We've got Fort Carson. We've got the Air Force Academy. And um, so, and, and every year around the same time, the, the graduation happens and the president flies into the state and he comes into the city and then the motorcade goes there and they close off all the roads. And it's, it's interesting uh, to say the least. Now, the Air Force uh, Thunderbirds flying overhead doing their formations and stuff. Really cool. Like you almost anywhere in the springs, you don't have to actually go to the graduation to see the flyover because at some point those jets are going to be flying over you doing a formation, which is pretty darn cool. Um, that being said, absolutely destroyed traffic. I mean, uh, this affected people all around the city like getting late to work and all these different things like you can try to plan ahead for it you can say yeah i'm gonna leave half an hour early i heard folks taking an hour to go six miles if even that in this i mean there's just no no way you could plan around this you can try it is futile though and I saw an interesting uh, op-ed from uh, Andrew Collins, Hat Tip the Drive, uh, who talked about some tips, at least, for, you know, mitigating the effects of traffic. Um, And and we're going to get into those here. We're coming up on a break in just a minute. But I, um, I, I, I can't. It's one of those things like phantom traffic jams are the most strange thing to me because you can be driving along just fine. And then hit a traffic jam for no reason. There's no crash. There's no there's there's no nothing. It's just we have all decided to stop now. That is what we have done. And collectively, almost like the the Borg and Star Trek, we have just decided that we are stopping. Why are we stopping? I don't know why, but you could tell I'm a little I'm a little salty about this. So we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about some of the uh, tips that uh, maybe could help you out. I don't know if it would help in this this last week with the Air Force Academy. I think everyone on the road was doomed to be stuck in traffic. But hey, we'll talk about that. And we'll talk about why I think automated braking systems being mandated is a problem, not a benefit. That's coming up right here in just a minute. It's Automotive ADHD. At the Speed Council, getting things done fast is our priority. We do everything fast, from driving, working, sleeping, and eating. Someone help! He's choking! This is Tim. Hello. And by the time this ad is over, he'll have bicycled across the earth 69 times. Nice. Even if our name sounds unfamiliar, you know our work. F1? Child's play. The world's first supersonic jet? Yep. That was us. Apollo 11? Also us. The fastest animal in the sea? Hell, we even wrote the Wikipedia article. Fast. And we're so dedicated to speed that we've genetically engineered the world's first hyperspeed speed machine. With this scientific breakthrough, you can interact with and download your favorite automotive podcast a whole day early. How's that for fast? Learn more at Facebook.com slash Automotive ADHD. This message approved by the Speed Council and the Church of Fast Things. All right, those car sounds courtesy of Colin Schrom. I'm going back through the archive. He sent that a little while back, and that was his um, Yukon trying to do 65 to 70, he said. He was doing a 65 to 75 pull, and uh, I guess he said, you know, like, it's one of those things, like the, the great Volkswagen ad from, you know, 50 years ago. Zero to 60 
Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm trying. I'm not trying to bash on you, Colin. I always appreciate you sending the car sounds in. He's got lots of different fun car sounds. He's he's a regular. So, Colin, I want to thank you for doing that. If I could somehow give you more keychains and stickers, I would. But I think you've got everything at as of right now. So, but hey, keep it keep it coming, keep it rolling. So, uh, before the break here, we were talking about traffic jams and. Um, I also saw this. So earlier this week, I mentioned here in Colorado, we had the Air Force Academy graduation. Uh, but even before that, we had Memorial Day and uh, AAA put out a press release saying that uh, about three or not 300. That's that's maybe too high. But 37 million Americans were expected to take road trips over Memorial Day. And uh, that's up from 35 million last year. And so that is they say that is 10 percent, almost 10 percent of the United States population on the roads over Memorial Day, which I can say now post Memorial Day. Um, yeah, traffic then was also crazy. I was partially glad that I was out of state for a, a chunk of it, at least, but it, it still sucked there, too. So what can I say? Um, and uh, that being said, um, you know, this is one of those things here that like, can you really do anything about traffic? I I, I don't know. I don't know. So um, Andrew Collins from The Drive put together a little bit of a uh, uh, little bit of an op-ed talking about different tips to maybe avoid the uh, avoid the traffic and what you can do to mitigate it. I mean, obviously mitigating the traffic, one way to do it would be just not going on the road like just don't go don't don't go on the roads it's not worth it um but if you must go on the roads and and they talked uh, andrew at the drive talked about this in the context of road trips especially it's it's especially infuriating when you're on a road trip and you're trying to make good time reasonable time to another state another place and you get stuck in that traffic it's also i mean it's infuriating getting stuck in traffic on your way to something important like work but uh, a road trip it, it traffic there because you can hit city to city and then hit traffic in each of those cities it can really put a damper on your you know beautiful classic you know american dream road trip that is just all honestly wall-to-wall traffic um now listeners of mine in europe and i know i have plenty of listeners in europe i'm always amazed when when you write into the show on the facebook page facebook.com slash automotive adhd i'm always amazed when you do that and say hey i'm listening from here and i'm listening from there um, or you know places all over the place which to me is is so cool um you know and i i feel i feel fortunate uh, that that you listen there that's that's awesome but um there's there's one thing that in europe that I, I think Europeans maybe don't understand about American travel and American road trips, which is uh, partially because in Europe, you have countries the size of our states. So you can, in a day, travel between two or three whole countries, which as an American, I find that to be mind blowing. Like the fact that I could travel within the span of a day and be in multiple countries is nuts. It's just it's just not going to happen in the United States. I mean, if you're close to Canada, okay, you can go up into Canada, but you're not getting into any other country within a day. Or if you're close to the southern border, you can get into Mexico, but you're not getting anywhere else. And if you're somewhere in between, it's more than a day to Canada and more than a day to Mexico, no matter what. So basically, no matter where you are in the U.S., the longest trip you could take might, if you're near the border, 
take you to another one other country, maybe. Um, so that's one that's one interesting cultural distinction I find. And I think um, that leads to maybe a different worldview sometimes when it comes to road trips and things like that. You know, you know, I think Europeans maybe have this notion that, you know, road trips in America just go on for forever, which. Yeah, they totally do. <laughs> like you could drive and you could be in Texas. You could drive practically all day and still be in the same state. I, I know you probably are going to get out of the state with it within a day, but like it's just you could drive for a very long time. Now, traffic back to that doesn't definitely doesn't help with this. So some of the tips that have been uh, recommended, at least, which is they say uh, tip number one, practice flexible pacing. So what is that? What does that mean? What does that mean? That means like, for instance, um, instead of saying, you know, we're not stopping, um, you know, at all, we're cannonballing to wherever it is. Uh, and we're not stopping. That's kind of how I do road trips. I tend to not stop if I can if I can help it. I uh, just tank up on energy drinks. We're driving 18 hours minimum. I might sleep after 18 hours or at least take a nap and then do another 18 hours. Um, but they say uh, pacing, you know, going, OK, well, we're going to do a couple hours here. And all right, well, we might hit traffic. So let's stop before that and get some lunch, do something like that. And that's honestly probably better for you health wise. Actually, you know, instead of doing 18 hours straight in a car, only stopping for bathroom breaks and fuel, that probably helps you actually stretch your legs out, you know, and and stay healthy. There, there are health related issues that can happen if you sit too long, uh, like you can die from like deep vein thrombosis, all that stuff. Yeah. So that's another thing. Uh, they also say. Uh, departing before dawn that's important because if you leave like if you leave at three in the morning yeah it kind of sucks because yeah it's really early gosh you're gonna you're gonna make great time you're gonna make amazing time um and uh but that being said you know there's there's a couple other ways another recommendation is you know spend an extra night on one end plan your trip out a little bit longer or here trust trusting the gps apps i am perpetually amazed at how spooky accurate traffic is on like apple maps and google maps it's really accurate like if it says there's a slowdown there's going to be a slowdown nine out of ten times um so that's listening to that is also important but i don't know what you can do to actually avoid the traffic Uh, get a motorcycle (laughs) that's a bombshell right there that's a yep we're done show's over car show recommends screw cars get a motorcycle i don't know that's probably the only way especially if you're in a state you're in a state rather that has legal lane filtering that's not lane splitting i could do a whole show on that i know this is a car show but I'm a gearhead, which doesn't just limit me to four wheels. I do enjoy motorcycles, you know, and, and as a car show host, I love my motorcycle brethren who were, you know, born with two less wheels than everyone else. But what can you do? We still we still love them. We still love them. Uh, that's one thing I think I'll, I'll save that for another topic. Lane filtering should be legalized everywhere, in my opinion. Lane splitting at speed, I find a little spooky sometimes but filtering usually implies the cars you're going between are stopped and you're somewhere within five to ten miles an hour you're going pretty slow but you're filtering through that traffic and like if like not i wouldn't say half but if even like 10 percent of people rode motorcycles whenever they could that would dramatically uh reduce the congestion we have on the road so there yeah there you go your automotive host official guidelines for avoiding traffic is just buy a motorcycle i know bombshell right there but hey one more thing i got to talk about here automated braking automated emergency braking um it has been around for a while we've we've been around cars that have had it we've you know that it's not a new technology to us however however it is um the 
National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, NHTSA, is proposing that by the year 2028, every single vehicle have an automatic emergency braking. And I think this is a mistake. This is not good in my opinion. Well, you say, well, why? It's, it's clearly safer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. It might be shown in some cases to prevent crashes. I also have issue with how the NHTSA, um, you know, and when they do like when you do crash tests and stuff, they're now rating crash tests on, um, the car's ability to avoid a crash. Like it will get a higher score in a crash test if it has an automated feature to avoid crashing. And you might say, well, that's common sense. I don't think so, actually, because if I'm looking at a crash test rating, I want to know how that vehicle provides safety in the event of a crash. I don't care about how it prevents the crash. If all else fails and you are in a crash, I want to know how safe that car is in a collision. I, uh, yeah, I, like I could care less about what it can do to prevent it. Like that's a good selling point for the auto manufacturer that yes, it's very good at avoiding it, but your crash test ratings should not be provided, should not be based on that rather. They should be based on its ability to withstand certain types of frontal collisions, off front offset collisions, rollovers, things like that. How does it actually fare in a collision? But I digress. Um, here's the thing. Automatic braking uh, could also be the the end of the manual transmission. And it might. Here's the thing. It might save some lives if you're a distracted driver. So think of it like this. We have more distractions on the road, but, you know, people are more distracted than ever. We know that. We know that. But it's just a Band-Aid. It's a Band-Aid to cover up for people's poor driving. I've been a big proponent on this show of saying that people should be better drivers. Our driver's ed system is failing our drivers, is failing our new drivers. We don't need these Band-Aids to cover up for bad drivers. We need people to be better drivers. And so that's the thing. This is a Band-Aid covering up a already existing existential like issue that that is already that's something we need to deal with and we're not and we're addressing it with just more safety tech which by the way you can become dependent on that safety tech and it can fail and then you crash the car and well whose fault was that the automated brakes didn't turn on well yeah dummy you're the one driving the car at the end of the day you need to be responsible for that um now, again, this should be something you can opt into. I think that it, at the very least, you should be able to decide that you want this. You should be able to decide, I want automated braking, whatever. That's great. I'm all for consumer choice. You should be able to do that. And that's how we've been doing it. But by regulating it, by regulating it, for one, we're not addressing the pressing issue, which is that drivers are more distracted ever, than ever, and they suck more than ever. Um, we're just regulating a new thing that is going to make drivers even more dependent. And I mentioned this earlier. Um, it can also like could be a detriment to the last of the manual transmissions. People say, well, yeah, we've already accepted the death of the manual. Move on. You're just stuck in old times. No, I tying back to that consumer preference. I want to be able to buy what I want to be able to buy. Uh, and I think everyone should be entitled to that. And um, with that, I mean, you know, Technically, can you make an automated braking system that works with a manual? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. The issue being that, and just to draw this out, the automated braking needs to be able to hit the brakes at any moment, right? And But in an automatic car, that's fine. You can hit the brakes, come to a stop. In a manual car, 
Well, if you just grenade the brakes without depressing the clutch pedal, you're going to stall the car. And that presents now another issue that you as the driver weren't expecting the automated stop because you weren't paying attention. But now it's also stalled the car. Your car is dead. You're panicked. You don't know what's going on. And there's a delay in your reaction time of then being able to start the car and maybe avoid another collision, maybe avoid someone rear ending you, you know, any of these number of things that can cause a major issue. Can you work around that? Yeah, you can develop a system that automatically depresses the clutch and does all these things and can start and stop and not stall the car. However, that increases greatly the cost and the complexity and the research and development of all of these different things. And manufacturers are just it's not going to be worth the the money for them to do that. Not only that, not only is it not going to be worth the money, this is just in general going to make cars more expensive. If manufacturers are already having to implement these systems and charge more money for them, making them standard is just going to make your basic cars even more expensive. And cars are already at a record high of how much they cost. Even when you account for inflation, cars two decades ago, three decades ago, cars now have cost more than ever. And this will just continue to drive the car's cost up and pass this cost on to the consumer. Government regulation like this that just expects manufacturers to figure it out and then pass that cost on to someone else and that doesn't sit right with me. So anyway, hey, let me know your thoughts on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. Also, remember to give this show a rating on Spotify. Six stars. Blow it up. I do want to also thank the staff of this radio station, Sandy, Gary, everyone who helps put this on the air. And I will see you right here, same time, same place, next week. Next week.